Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we've got a great topic and a great guest, and the topic is how to grow a trucking company with my friend, Brian Philco. How's it going, Brian? I'm doing very well, Joe. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you. Excellent, excellent. So one of the reasons I wanted to have Brian on, and boy, some of this is going to go over some people's heads, I'm sure, because they're too young, but I saw on LinkedIn, you had written something about Rodney Dangerfield. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, uh, introduce yourself and your company and where you're at. So my name is Brian Filco. I'm the CEO of Houston, Texas-based Jetco Delivery. I purchased Jetco in 2006. In 2019, sold Jetco to Montreal-based GTI Group. So now I perform a dual role of uh, being Jetco CEO and also Executive Vice President of uh, GTI. And what GTI has done is it's given us uh, access to uh, cross-border uh, work that we didn't have. And it's been, been a lot of fun to kind of watch the GTI Jetco brand come together. Very nice, very nice. And I know you are not in uh, sunny Houston, Texas. You're in Wisconsin. I can see the Badger helmet in the background. Yep, it's right there. <laughs> that one's actually signed by J.J. Watt. So there's a Texas connection. <laughs> oh, very nice, very nice. So so you're, you're at your lake house. Very nice, very nice. So tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And uh, how did you end up at Jetco? How, when did you, and buying Jetco in 2006? When did, so give us a little bit of background. Um, well, I think that I'm, I'm the example of not having a 30, 40 year plan. Um, I, I like things to be a little bit more uh, random than that. So I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is right near Green Bay, and went to undergrad at the University of Wisconsin, Madison, law school at Northwestern came back to Milwaukee and practiced corporate law. I practiced corporate law for about six years. And I really, I looked at my clients. I was like, I want to do what they're doing. Um, I grew up in a family <laughs> that was entrepreneurial, that, you know, it was a, a small business. And so that was sort of in my blood. So I had the opportunity when I was about 31 to go work as the chief operating officer for my favorite client. They were in the recycling business. And had a lot of fun. They were just wonderful people, wonderful company. And we were able to grow that. Ultimately, sold it to Waste Management. And Very Waste, nice. And Very Waste, nice. Is, Waste is based in Houston. That's what brought me from Wisconsin down to Houston. I, I was the uh, executive vice president of Waste's uh, recycling division, Waste Recycling Company, for a couple of years. And while at Waste, I, I can't say enough about how great of an organization it is. But, you know... It's a 50,000 person company. And, you know, that really wasn't for me. I wanted to be back to something more entrepreneurial. And so I went into search. And by that point, having been around waste management and having been around recycling, I'd been around trucks for a long time. And I came across Jetco. Uh, the owner was the founder. He started the business in 1976. And, you know, it was time to either double down or exit. And he made a decision that it was time to exit. So um, uh, it was a perfect fit. Because the company, you know, it was, I like to say that it was, it was tired and he would admit that, but it was right. not broken. It was a good, healthy company right. just in need of. Well, if you um, found some, it in 76, <laughs> if you found it in 76 and you bought it in 2006, it might've been just a little tired. <laughs> a little old. 
Yeah. But my favorite story is the owner, the former owner and I signed a six month consulting agreement back then. And he still works with us. It's the longest six month agreement in history. <laughs> and I would have it no other way. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into the rest of the topic, tell us the Rodney Dangerfield connection. By the way, for all of you who are too young to remember Rodney Dangerfield, he was an excellent comedian. He was kind of the biggest comedian of his time. And I think that was like late eighties, nineties, right? So yeah. how how did were you connected? And I just saw this on LinkedIn, and I was like, "Oh, this dude knows Rodney Dangerfield." So how what's your connection there? So I was the student government president in Madison, and one day I was in my Very office, nice. and, and the phone rang, and it was a company called Paperclip Productions, and saying, "Look, we're we're, we're scouting campuses." to film this new movie with Rodney Dangerfield. And that got my attention. So I remember we uh, we went out and took a whole bunch of pictures of the campus. We FedExed them out to California. There was no JPEGs and emailing back then. Right. And they narrowed down to us in a college uh, somewhere in Texas. We brought them to Madison. We showed them the campus. We showed them a very, very good time. They're like, uh, yeah, we're like only here. Wisconsin can. Only Wisconsin <laughs> can do that. So they said, we're, we're filming here. And... Uh, you know, the reason I posted on on LinkedIn is because I was reminded of a story about Rodney. I forgot it for all these years. So, you know, they were on campus maybe about two weeks prepping and then about three weeks filming. And I spent a little time with Rodney Dangerfield. I mean a little. We, we didn't become best friends. But right. I was invited out in June of the following year, June of 86, to the premiere. And I was just kind of hanging out. And all of a sudden, he came... Rodney came up to me and asked, hey, how you doing? And he remembered a few things about our conversation. And that's why I posted it on LinkedIn, because it's, you know, the old, I, I don't get no respect. That's Rodney's line. Right, it's right. like, you know, I mean, how that conversation, could, he could have remembered and then come back to me as, you know, what am I, a 20-year-old, 20, 21-year-old? Right. I mean, that made me feel this big, huge. And, and I just, that story came back to me because, I mean, I'm remembering it this many years later. Right. So what if we all did that and could remember conversations with people that made, made you realize that, you know, you mattered. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think uh, if, you, if, if you look up Rodney Dangerfield, he was a comedian. And then I think he had to go get a day job. And then he was a comedian at night. And then, I mean, he had a long, long struggle. And I don't think he really made it again. Maybe you could call it a comeback, but he made it bigger than ever, probably in his 50s and 60s. And so he had been that guy who truly did not get any respect. So uh, I could see where he would say, you know what? I've been I've been there, done that. I want to help people uh, be recognized and make other people feel special like we all should. And he did that. And even at the top of his game, right, he opened a nightclub called Dangerfield. And what was the purpose? It was to give a stage to emerging right. comedians. So he was helping people hone their craft, the next generation. And there's still a whole bunch of famous comedians that probably oh, owe yeah. a big break to Rodney. Oh, yeah. I just actually, I forgot which comedian it was, but I heard somebody say Rodney Dangerfield is the one who, who helped me out. So um, that movie was what? Back to School? Back to School. Yeah, That was a huge movie. I saw that at the theater. God, when you still we go to movie theaters, <laughs> that was a big movie. I would say I would say that that and Animal House are like the biggest like college movies probably probably ever, right? A pretty big deal. I think so. The movie was I mean, the movie did 
was so much bigger than I think the producer and director ever imagined right. that, 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 that it would be. And and it was the first time, you know, sometimes Dangerfield would play kind of these hard luck type guys. Right. And in this movie, they were, they, they cast him as kind of this successful a baller. businessman. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, I, don't, I mean, we won't go into all the scenes, although I could, but when he was in business class, right, and the professor was telling him, how business is done and then Dangerfield comes back and says, no, nah, right. this is how it's really done. Right. And the professor makes some, you know, snarky comment and Dangerfield goes, yeah, tell that to the bank. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, every, every business student should watch that because that dialogue is really the difference between theory and reality. And it, right. every bit is true today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that's a cool, that's a cool background. I, again, I, I, I think it's a slam dunk. If, if you're in Madison, I know it's an, uh, one of the more beautiful campuses on, uh, in, in the U.S., so I I know when you sent those pictures, it was like, hey, we're going to win this one. There's no way around it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, getting back to your story, so you bought you bought Jetco in 2006, and uh, and the reason I wanted to talk to you about this, why we called it how to grow a trucking company, you grew this by uh, quite a number. So, you, give us give us a sense for how much you grew the company in the time you owned it. Well, we grew the company from the time I owned it, so 2006 to you know, 19, about a little over tenfold, 10 times. And we, we, we did, we did it mostly through organic growth. That's where I'm comfortable. We did a few tuck in acquisitions, but the real story was organic growth, block and tackle, you know, new accounts, um, taking greater and greater share of wallet from existing accounts and then building new businesses. So like, for example, from the time I bought the company to the time we sold, we, we built a logistics bro- third-party brokerage company. We built a heavy haul company. Um, we built a, a division uh, in Dallas. So we entered the Dallas market from our, our base in Houston. So entrepreneurial, strategic expansion, share of wallet, uh, and, and, and not not really an acquisitive strategy. Right. So when we were prepping for this, I, I said, you know, this it's quite a story, the 10 times growth, um, especially when you think about this business, this is a notoriously tough business. I mean, more likely you hear people saying, yeah, we just kind of petered out of business. We, a lot of times these days I hear people say, well, we own, we used to own 10 trucks and now we just got rid of them. And now we're, a, you know, a 3PL a broker, whatever you want to say. It seems as if no one wants to own trucks. It's, I mean, and the wrong way to say that because there's some obviously great trucking companies out there. But it's a notoriously hard business. So talk about some of the challenges that you saw in this business over time. I mean, why do so many companies fail? I think the reasons for failure can be many. But if you don't know trucking and you get and you just are looking at it from the outside, you know, you can say, well, point A to point B, what's what's so complicated about that? You, you think it's an easy <laughs> business. It's anything but. It, it's an incredibly complex business. So sometimes people underestimate the challenge. Another thing I see all the time is, for example, right now we're in a very robust trucking market <laughs> in the U.S. Right. And so all of a sudden people think this is never going to end. And they overexpand right. and, and they overexpand with debt. And then the market pulls back. It does every time. It's inevitable. And now they've got this debt they can't serve and a bunch of empty trucks they're paying for the, where they're underwater on the equity in the truck. So they, they don't expand intelligently. Um, another yep. reason that I think people... Before you, before sure, you leave that sure. one, Chris Pickett was on my podcast. And he was a coyote guy. And then he started a, a research company. And 
and he now I think he's doing some work at Flock Freight. But what was interesting is he he said we have this forever this boom bust cycle, and he said right now he says if you're looking at the market signals, it tells you, hey, it looks like a pretty good time to buy. He says, and it will be right to the time it's not a good time to buy. And he said, and he says every everybody looking at it is making potentially the right decision. But the problem is a lot of people are doing it at the same time. So it's it's not easy. And again, you're not talking a super high margin business in all cases. So there's some big risk and you have to navigate that. I mean, I'm sure you've been burned a few times on that boom bust cycle, right? Oh, I, yeah. Most everything I know, I learned the hard way. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's fun now to be able to share that. But, you know, I think the key is, you got to strategically expand. I mean, you you want to grow, and and but but grow to your standards, not somebody else's standards. I mean, if you're a twenty truck operation and your goal is to get to twenty five, that's perfect. That's that's what you want to do. People, anybody that says, "Why aren't you at 100? The heck with them, right? right? Don't don't let anybody tell you how you should run your business, how you should grow it. I can tell you what we did, but right. trust me, it, it's not one size fits all. So, um, you know, we we were very deliberate about, you know, our balance sheet and making sure that we were not capitalized for the peak of the market. And, and so our business um, involves company trucks that, that we own, uh, owner operator trucks where they run under our authority, but the owner operator owns his or her trucks and then third party logistics brokerage, you know, you know, third, third party, other people's right. trucks, their authority, that combination, of has allowed us to um, service our customers, grow, and at the same time not have too much money stuck in capital, uh, right. because it's not a matter of uh, if; it's a matter of when the market will correct. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and it's interesting. I got to tell you this: uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, somebody called me, a shipper that I've advised in the past, and they said do you think we should go back and ask for a price decrease? Cause obviously it's not going to be <laughs> as much demand as there was. Right. So it's funny. I was thinking, Oh, you know what? That's a good point. And I was kind of Googling it. There was no, no, no information yet, but I was thinking the first thought was, yeah, but there's, there's a lot of, a lot of companies aren't shipping manufacturing's down. There'll be tons of trucks. The, the rates are going to drop like a rock. <laughs> <laughs> Anything well, and, but, <laughs> and, 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 the, and rates did drop like a rock right. for about two months, and then right. they just right, shot right. up. Right. See, people look at the trucking market if it's as if it's monolithic, and it's not. I mean, different cycles, different parts of the trucking business operate on their own cycle. So during right. the first part of the pandemic, you know, industrial really slowed down, but last mile, consumer goods, food. I mean, I mean. Those parts of the business were were booming throughout right. most of the pandemic. So, so the trucking industry itself is really several micro economies that each go through its own right. cycle. And you mentioned like the heavy haul. So, let's just say you have heavy haul, and you say I'm moving steel or oil equipment or whatever you're moving. Um, <laughs> that doesn't help you deliver to home. So, so, so it, we're not all able to take all of our equipment and move it from uh, <laughs> from one industry to the next. What we've done. To, address that is we've deliberately maintained a diverse client base and it's not client by name right customer a customer b it's also client by industry type right so that we have exposure to several industries um 
because when heavy haul goes and heavy haul is booming, it's just a great business to be in. But heavy haul is going to be more jagged in its cycles uh, because right. you're talking about big dollars, capex, long production schedules, long lead times. Right. So we, you know, if you know the business and you understand its risk profile, you can do fine. Right. But if you think that you know heavy haul is going to be, for example, as consistent as sacks of potatoes, um, right. <laughs> you're wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm I'm an, originally an automotive guy, and um, it's in, this got the same boom bust cycles. I mean, we've it, we've struggled with that forever. And one of the things I remember running across a number of of really well run companies that would say, we will not have any more of our business, 20% of our business, no more than 20% of our business will be in one industry. No more than 15% of our business will be with one company. And that's a, that's a real challenge for brokerage and trucking companies. It, it It's really easy to find yourself saying, yeah, 80% of our business is with these two companies. And it's great when it's working, but when one walks away, when one gets bought or <laughs> there's a problem. There's, really... there's an old saying that says, that, you know, if you borrow enough, you own the bank. <laughs> right. And, and, and see, so, yeah, you, you know, what I, what I won't do in my company is allow discussions about saying, you know, oh, this, this customer is getting too big of a share of the pie. What I'll say is, yes, they, their percentage is growing. What that means is we got to grow the pie. Right. Right. Yeah, we got we got to get more customers. You're not giving business up. <laughs> no, no. But, but the risk is the risk is there. The risk is you don't want to have the customer be too high of a percent of your sales. Right. So either you say, well, my sales are never going to grow, so I've got to keep this customer capped, or you say, this customer, we're going to grow the heck out of them, but it just means the call to action to expand the pie is that much greater. Right. Right. <laughs> that that's why you grew your company tenfold. <laughs> so. Um, Anyway, so we're talking about the challenges. So one is this the cycle, the boom bust. And um, what's another challenge that you saw in the industry when you got here? When I looked at the industry and was going to make a decision whether I wanted to purchase Jetco or not, um, I did my homework. It's different doing it from the outside looking in, I'll tell you. But one thing I think I got right is that we can make an impact on the market and transform the market with a simple focus on the best people, you know, a newer fleet and, you know, process driven technology. So people, fleet, technology, a people, rigid, fleet, technology, is people, fleet and technology and embedded in there uh, is a commitment to process too, un unconditional respect for process. And that simple playbook is what got us through. And it, it got us through the tough times and it let us really grow in the good times. So, so people fleet and process, or I'm sorry, people fleet and technology. And, and I know when we were prepping, you kept saying safety, safety, safety. And I asked you where does safety fall in this? And you said, it's the, it's the culture that the whole company lives by. So, so it's this people fleet technology and it's all soaking in a big pool of, of the right culture, which is in your mind, very focused on safety, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the right culture really is the convergence of the right people and the right process working in harmony. If you've got good people and no process, you know, that's called herding cats. It doesn't work. If right. you've got great process and the wrong people, I wish you luck. So you've got to have your, your people and your process working in sync. See, because that's what your customers are buying. Right. They're, 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 they, you may think they're paying for a truck to show up. They're not. They're, they're paying, hopefully, a premium 
because of the way you do your business and how different it is from you know brand X. Right. So so it's a hardcore business proposition. It's a hardcore business development proposition. And ultimately, you know, there, there, there's a saying, um, I don't know, I mean, I'm going to borrow it from somebody because I don't know who it <laughs> is, but, you know, strong on the inside, unbeatable on the outside. That's always been my approach to this is that my job running the company is to focus on our internal strength. So again, your people, professionals, professional truck drivers, professionals in the office, uh, a newer equipment, the best equipment we can afford, and then cutting edge technology. If I could focus on that, that would spill over to a customer experience that few could match. And, right. and again, it, by and large, the strategy has worked. Right. So when you got to the company and you said, okay, I, I want to grow this bad boy. I, I want to understand what I have. What did you, what was the kind of the, some of the first things you did with the people and give us a, some sense of, you know, how, how this, how this evolved? Um, it's interesting, but what I realized early on is that, Power and authority are two different things. You know, I had the authority because I, I bought the company, and I guess my, the boss, my, name, man. my, yeah, my yeah, I'm the <laughs> boss. But you know, authority is not worth anything. What 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 matters is power, and the team had the power, so it was my job to earn their respect to, to gain power. So I spent my first year working in dispatch, riding in trucks. We had you know, meetings to talk about where we wanted to go. It, it, it was very open, but at the same time, I was very clear about my vision. So people knew that we weren't drifting. But the first thing I had to do was win the respect of um, our team. And that's nothing that's given to you just because you show up one day as the owner. And in fact, if anything, they look at you with a little bit more of a, oh, a yeah. question. You know, Who's this guy? What does he know? Yeah, it, yeah, this guy's a lawyer who came from waste management. What does he know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good luck to him in this company. <laughs> so I get that with the people. So what did you do with the fleet? How, how did you know what you wanted to do? Because I've heard people say, I'm going to buy all brand new trucks. And we're in always the very nicest trucks. I've heard, heard other people say, we always buy used. We, you know, we're always on the low end of the market. Our costs are lower. Um, I don't know. I know it's hard. <laughs> so what, what was your what was your feeling about fleets? Um, I'm very hybrid when it comes to that. You know, in other words, um, people that are buying, you know, used trucks for a local read a local regional business, you know, maybe somebody else took the depreciation hit and, and that makes sense. But when you're over the road, you know, and, and, you, and, and you're putting somebody in a truck that's not been in your fleet, you could pay so much more money in, in maintenance. So I think, I think new or used depends on kind of the state of the truck market because the truck market will determine what makes the most sense. Your duty cycle is the most important thing. But let's also forget that trucks are the offices of our professional drivers. So right. bringing your drivers into fleet selection, having them have a say is important. And by no means am I saying, well, you know, the only way to do this is with new trucks. That's not the case. So for me, it's been a blend of new and used, but it's always making sure that driver preferences, driver comfort, ergonomics, and safety are, are all into the equation. Right. It's not worth buying an old truck if there's a safety issue, right? I mean, that, that, I, know, I, know, I don't even have to ask you that question because I know the answer. No, and and the other thing you got to remember, I and I we 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 help owner operators buy trucks. If I've got a really good company driver who's proven that he or she takes care of their company truck, and their goal is to be 
is to own trucks themselves, we're going to help with that. But what I remind them is, all right, you can go look at that truck across the street with 700,000 miles, and maybe you can buy it for so little money. But, you know, a couple of major repairs and you're you're deep in the hole. Um, right. So we help people grow. It's one of my favorite things is watching people progress in their careers. No writer, no, no single path. Path has to work for right. each person. But um, you can buy the wrong truck, you know, you, oh, you, yeah. and you spend, spend a couple pennies and then you give it all away in maintenance. Yeah. I, it reminds me when I, when I was a... Uh, teenager i worked at a marina it was right on the detroit river and uh um there would always be boats for sale in the marina and you know you'd always see someone go oh i just bought this this baby for two grand and it's this humongous boat and it's old and, and, then, and then everyone else around go, it's got dry rot dude <laughs> it's got dry. Yeah. and he goes uh, no it all all it needs is a little bit sandy i was like you're gonna sand through <laughs> you're gonna sand till you have a hole in the boat and yeah. it was so those boats never left the shore. They were always in in uh, being worked on. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's that's the same with this business. You can buy trucks for cheap. Doesn't mean you're going to be able to run it. Yeah. On the one hand, look, you've got to be, because it's a tight margin business, you've got to be cognizant of every dollar you spend. You've got to be really disciplined. On the other hand, you're not going to penny pinch your way into success. Right. You have to, it, it's, it's a balance. You've got to figure out, what the right spending right. is such that you're, you're investing in the company and not wasting money. So, so let's also talk about safety, safety when we're talking about your fleet. So what did you do? What, I know you're a safety freak and we'll get to that in a minute, but um, what did you do when it came to like the technology for your, your fleets? Well, let's start with just with the proposition that, that safety um, is the cornerstone of an excellent operation. So to me, if we're running safely, that's sort of my, bellwether that other things are probably in order right on the other hand if we're having you know repeated and preventable safety issues that tells me to dig deeper so when it comes to the fleet specifically for example as you know the government mandated electronic logs uh in 2017 right we put them in in 2008 you know we we, we were wow. nine, nine or ten years of the mandate because it was the right way to run elds have been around forever um you know, all these people that were crying about the mandate because it's going to cost productivity and all that. It didn't, and it won't. Um, and it's 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 a, it, it's good that we're all playing by the same set of rules. I mean, as much as possible, people can always find a way to cheat. But it's harder now than it was in the old days of paper logs. Cameras. I mean, truck cameras are the lowest cost, highest return investment I've ever made. My my trucks, I've got outward and inward facing cameras. Because you, you so inward means you can look at the driver from the dis from your dispatch office. Yeah, well, we don't we we can't go in there and just say let's go see what this driver is doing, right? But what we can do if there's an incident, a hard break, uh, a trigger event, then we can um, go get the videotape of what happened. Okay, so you so you have an inward looking at the driver, and then there's an outward one that looks at what's going on with driver view, right? Yeah. Well, you're right. What's going on in the road? And we're in the process right now of buying side view cameras. Uh, we're not there yet, but we'll probably have them in by the first part of next year. So we can also see what's going on on the side. Um, and, you know, the yeah, you know, there, there was some skepticism back in 2015 when we put them in. But our drivers have come to understand that those cameras are there to protect 
the company and the driver. We're in this together. Right. right. Um, so we've we've um, overcame some of the fears by by working with our drivers in the in the beta group. Right. Ten right. people. Let's put them in the trucks. Test it out. Tell us what you think. And it, it worked well, but I, I could not see running a trucking company without inward and outward facing cameras on day one. It's and all the objections and all the people that have an excuse, right. they don't hold water. You just got you got to be bold enough to confront your fears. That's all right. it is. There was a guy on my podcast last summer, and he talked about the nuclear verdicts. And one of the things he said is when. There's an accident, and he says, especially when there's no cameras, and the, and then he says, what ends up? And you're a lawyer, so you know this better than I ever would. He said they just start picking at, okay, they didn't have the camera, so we can't tell. We don't really know what happened. All we know is somebody's injured, and and we want to sue this trucking company. He says then they start going through the paperwork, and if they can find, oh, well, they don't do the maintenance, or they didn't keep the maintenance logs, up, or the hours of service, or ELD, or it, it, camera, he said. It doesn't even mean the driver was wrong. If you can show any of their documentation was weak, you lose, and you could potentially lose big. So, so speak to that. Well, Joe, I can give you I can give you examples, <laughs> uh, many examples where you know we get that angry lawyer letter, and so what my attorney will do is say, call the lawyer and say, "Hey, would you like to see the video?" And so show them the video. <laughs> and guess what? You never hear back from those lawyers. They go fight somebody else. Um, because, you know, the plaintiff's attorneys know how to play the game, you know. And my feeling is real simple. If our driver did something wrong and was at fault and caused an injury, then that's why we have insurance and we make right. it right. Right. But with, even when the camera shows you that you're at fault, it lets you become more intelligent in settling the case. You know, right. you don't want to go to trial with those cases. What you want to do is make it right and 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 do the right thing. Um, but more often than not, you know, I the video will tell us fight. Um, so right. it definitely helps you, even when even when the video that you see is not exactly what you want to see. It still right. helps you because you don't want to be fighting a losing battle. Right. It's um, it's 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 a very difficult business. One of the things that I heard from this insurance guy, he said that there were investors now behind large lawyers who, who get into these cases. And he said, so I, I asked one of my buddies who's an attorney, he says, you can't do that here in Michigan. You can't invest in a lawsuit. He said, but apparently you can elsewhere. And so where in the past, sometimes a, a, somebody would, would uh, sue and be open to settling now, when, when somebody's an investor behind it saying, Hey, I want that, I want that 10 bagger on my investment. They're expecting you fight it to the end, take it to court, go to the jury trial. And I thought, oh, what a what a horrible way to invest. I mean, it's great if, for somebody who's really injured, but every once in a while when you hear somebody, oh, that guy got $100 million because of this or that, you're like, for what? <laughs> it's really a horrible situation because, you know, people are, what they're doing is they're underwriting the medical costs. And the medical costs are, are happen, you know, when plaintiff's lawyers, have a mill of doctors that they'll refer to. I mean, we had one case where the doctor admitted that he'd done over 300 referrals with one particular lawyer. So you don't think there's a relationship there? <laughs> right. But, but what I come back to from an operator standpoint is this. There's all sorts of variables out there. There's all sorts of people where we, you know, we've got a big bullseye on our back. So what you do 
is you focus on what you control. You've got to focus on what you control, which is operational and safety excellence. And the more you do that, the more you'll, the more you'll eliminate the risk of having that kind of situation. But there, people can always sue each other, and there's right. so much unethical. We could do a whole podcast on, on the unethical <laughs> stuff that goes out there. But I keep coming back to when I'm talking to trucking companies and I'm talking to my team about it. You can't control that. Okay? Right. Focus on what you can control. Right. Be the best. Never, ever compromise safety. And, and things will ultimately right. fall in place. Right. I love it. So you talked about people. You talked about fleet. What about technology? Give us your, your perspective on technology. So that was your main, your, that was your big three. People, fleet, technology. What, what, do you, what did you do when it came to technology? Well, we talked a little bit about the safety technology, about being an early adopter on GPS, on um, the cameras. But it goes way beyond safety. So our operating system is, is hooked up to driver tablets. So you've got electronic proof of delivery. Um, you're, what you're doing is you're shortening the information cycle to your customers. You're getting them what they want faster. The old days, you know, customers have to call a trucking company 50 times just to get a POD. And now we've got the ability to get the POD in your hand, you know, five minutes after the load delivers. So what you want to do is use technology. And what we've done to use technology is to solve the pain points that our clients are experiencing, uh, which in a lot of cases is paperwork delays, right? Uh, poor communications, right? So we can, we can, if somebody wants to know where the truck is always, you know, we can give, we can get automatic emails. Truck has arrived, truck is loaded, truck has departed. You know, we, we, we right. can do all that. So it's about becoming more sticky with your clients. Right. So you mentioned proof of delivery. So I've not been involved with this in a minute. So, um, but I knew, I do remember having clients where they'd say, I need this by Monday at noon. And then you'd get it, get it there by Monday at noon. And then Tuesday afternoon, they call and you go, Hey, we never got that. And you go, yeah, yeah, we did. And they say, no, we didn't. And then you you have to call the trucking company and say, can I have that proof of delivery? Oh, yeah, we delivered at 11 a.m. yesterday morning. And then can you email it, me that proof of delivery? And then I would get it. Then I forward it on. And I was like, this this sucks. And, and I know now that's not the way it happens. So you talk about the tablets. For those of us who are not living it day to day, talk about how that can happen fast with the technology. Well, uh, when you're talking about the proofs of delivery, um the driver will scan or take a photo of, of the signed proof of delivery and it automatically links into our operating system. Oh, nice. And when it links into the operating system, then we have it. So now if the driver's not going to be back in the office for five days, we're not waiting for five days to get all. You're not waiting work. for a fax. Yeah. Or a fax <laughs> that you can't read. Um, so, so basically you take a picture the picture links into the operating system. So it goes right into the pro. And from there, um, it, it, it gets emailed to the customer uh, right away. So you just eliminate oh, all the paperwork, all the steps. And it's good for our drivers too, because generally in order for them to get paid on the load, you know, right. they got to produce a POD. <laughs> and right. so the, the, we would have so many lost paperwork problems in the past. Those are gone. They're completely gone because if, if you link it, if you link your POD to the operating system, it can never get lost. So it's been just a home run for everybody. But these are the kinds of investments we've made because, you know, I like to tell people that I'm out of the trucking business. I'm not in the trucking business. I'm in the business of providing driver services. And so I need to be sure that my drivers are paid right, 
that they're that they're going to the customers and low and customers that take care of them, and that that reciprocates back to the customer, right? So the customer right. will get a better experience and better capacity from us, and and the technology folds right in there because it just closes the loop. So the customer oh, gets yeah. what they want when they want it. Right. Well, and you know, it it always does come back to you mentioned you're in the driver service business. I love that because. Uh, boy, oh boy, I always have said this. I, I'm not from this business. I'm from automotive. But I've one of the things I realized is uh, how horrible we can be sometimes to drivers is like, I could drive. So you're eight hours away from me over in Wisconsin. If I drove over and I said, hey, Brian, I'm going to come join you at your lake house. And I get over there and uh, you go, yeah, sit in the driveway for two hours, Joe. And then when we're, <laughs> when we're ready, we'll invite you in for lunch. I'd be like, I hate Brian now. <laughs> like, I'm going to egg his house before I leave. And we do that to people, and it's bizarre. Oh, walk through this this greasy cover, you know, our factory. I hope you don't slip and fall. I hope you don't get hit by shrapnel over here. It's it's awful, and we have to do so much better. I don't blame a lot of people for not wanting to be in this business. Plus, it, you know, you want to be home for your kid's ball game, and somebody says, yeah, you can't be home for your kid's ball game because we're not going to load you. For whatever reason, we're busy. Uh, what about me? <laughs> well, ultimately – what, what a lot of shippers don't understand is this. Yes, if a truck is detained, we can charge waiting time. Okay, but waiting time is barely enough to pay the driver, uh, barely enough to take care of the company. The trucking company and the driver have the same interest. We make our money when we're running. Right. And if, if I was going to charge you what I really needed to charge for waiting time <laughs> to, to be even, right. you wouldn't like it very much. Well, so, so, you know, we're going... You know, we have to have candid conversations. This is why a trucker and a shipper have to be have to partner up because we, if we can operationally sync up, we can eliminate waste, right? right? So many people focus on that last nickel on on the freight bill when the reality is there's dollar bills marching out the door right. every day because of because of inefficiency, right. because of operational sloppiness, and ultimately the driver can no longer bear the brunt of that, and they should not have to. Right. You know, one of my favorite shippers had this uh, new vice president of logistics, big company, but he didn't have the background, but he really wanted to understand. It. And when we told him we have to do a better job with drivers, I remember him uh, going out and saying, I watched them tarp our machines and it was cold. It was winter. It was in the Midwest. And he said, I'm watching this guy up on a flatbed tarping one of our machines. And he said, it was like a kite. He goes, he's, he's lucky he doesn't fly fly across the sky with it. And he says, we're going to kill somebody. He goes, we're going to kill some driver. Who in the world wants to be out there in the middle of winter having to put this tarp on? So they said, we're going to find a better way. We're going to wrap these internally. We're going to get some kind of stogas. We're not going to do this anymore. And it was like, hallelujah. And I think more of us need to get out on those damn docks and say, Hey, we're not going to treat people poorly. You're not going to. Can you imagine sitting in your car for six, eight hours and then get somewhere and they say, hey, if you don't mind, just sit in your truck for a little longer. I can't even do it. I have to get out and walk. I, I get sore just driving that far. And by the way, I want you to sit in your truck in Houston in August when it's 110 <laughs> degrees out. And, and, and by the way, you can't idle. <laughs> right, right. Why don't you, come on. Why don't you try that? Give it a, come on, right. give it a shot. It, 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 it's true. Yeah, we got to make it better. We got to make it better. So, Anyway, um, so your focus really been this people fleet technology. So Brian, I know we got a hard stop coming up here, but so let's put a bow on this. Uh, give us your final thoughts on this topic, and then we'll get into uh, what you're up to now. Well, I guess what I'd say is that 
I'm very proud of what we've done over the years at Jetco and now, now GTI Jetco. But in my mind, there's no one right path. I know what's worked for me. Um, I've seen what's worked for other people. I see, I've seen what hasn't worked. Say you got to be, you know, true, um, true to yourself and true to what your goals are, not letting anybody else set your agenda. And in my mind, it, it comes back to what I said earlier about strong on the inside, unbeatable on the outside. The more you can take care of your employees, the more you can hire true professionals in, in all positions, um, the more you can have a process-driven company where outcomes are more predictable, the better service you give to your customers. I don't think that's any magic to trucking. I think that's just the fundamentals of running a, a, a business, a solid operation. You know, you, you, so you, you do that. You, you, you think long-term uh, and, and, and make sure that your balance sheet is set for the long-term. I think you're going to be fine. Uh, a lot of the other stuff really it just has to do with your, your choices and your preferences and, and, People have succeeded following all sorts of different paths. Um, I would also say, I want to come back to safety for one second, that when I first bought the company and I would talk to clients about safety, talk to customers about safety, some of them would glaze over, their <laughs> eyes would get tired and say, come on, come on, right. get to the part about the price. Now right. they care. They care. So that, right. you, know, you know, in order to get the best customers, you got to be the best company. And it's no no longer right. enough to just sort of put stuff like that by the by the wayside right. and say safety is a department. No, safety is a way of life. So it's all about decommoditizing yourself in a heavily commoditized industry. I think if you can right. figure out your own strategy for decommoditization, that's how we do it. Right. Well, you can't. You know, getting back to your safety thing, you can't, how do you maintain morale? How do you tell your people that you're the most important asset in this business? And you go, yeah, and I guess Bob was uh, hurt again because of our sloppy processes. <laughs> I mean, that's that's awful. I mean, you, you can't convince people that this is a great company to work with and for if there's injuries, if there's if they're cutting corners and injuring people. Well, the, the related mindset is, as you know, right now, there's a tremendous driver shortage. So it's hard to hire a good driver. And that's never and ending. It's never ending. <laughs> but, but I've seen people say, oh, my gosh, I know that that person may not be the safest in the bunch. but you know, I can't get rid of them. I need to fill the truck up. In my mind, that's famous last words. <laughs> you know, you, right, you look right. the other way enough and yeah, you'll keep that person in the truck and they're going to cost you your company. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Brian, before you go, tell us a little bit what's going on with uh, Jetco GTI. And then also, I know you've got this big, uh, you also do some safety training. So talk to us about that. Well, I mean, at GTI Jetco, um, we're just we're very excited about the future. We continue to in, invest in and grow our our fleet. We're focused heavily on you know our our markets, which involve flatbed heavy haul. We've got an intermodal container business, dry van business, and then four brokerage companies operating throughout North America. So we just continue to invest. We're, we've just rolled out um, a brand new brokerage company that's going to be focused on us. Uh, exclusively on white glove, heavy haul, out of gauge. And, and we're going to kind of combine our expertise. Wait, say that one more time. So it's white glove, heavy yeah, haul? How does that work? Not, I mean, I mean, high touch. I don't mean like white glove, like, you know. Okay, I, you I know, no, no, okay. TV on somebody's wall. <laughs> I mean, like, mean, meaning that we're Very high, high touch. touch because it, it, it requires expertise that we have from running our assets that we're going to, that we're moving over aggressively now to third party. So we're, 
we're very busy and taking care of our existing customers growing. On the safety and consulting side, um, I spend time, I'm fortunate to spend time on safety leadership. Um, I love teaching it. I love consulting with companies. doesn't matter the size of your company. Uh, I think that a lot of times a smaller company might say, oh, we're too small for this. And I'll say, you know, small stature is a virtue. You're nimble. You can move fast. Small thinking is the kiss of death. So I really enjoy the presentations and the consulting. I've got a completely online course that people can watch at their convenience. Uh, it's a six-module course that we've had several hundred people go through since launching it. That's been a lot of fun. And then you mentioned the keynote. I do a lot of private keynotes, a lot of private consulting, but I'm really excited that in October in Orlando, I'll be doing the leadership keynote for the National Safety Council at their 2021 Congress and Expo. And I'm, I am really excited about that. Very nice. Very nice. So what I'll do is I'll put a, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I'll also put a link to uh, Jetco GTI. And also, if you've got, uh, you can give me a link to your safety course. And so anybody who's interested can reach out and uh, sign up for that. Because I, I, from talking to you the few times I have, you, you're very passionate about safety. And I, I get it. I get it. And we uh, we talked offline there was a story about that Alcoa guy who was uh, the CEO of Alcoa who famously just grew this company like a weed, but his focus was on safety. And the analysts and investors thought this guy was crazy. What do you mean? And he said the same thing you did, which is when you're focusing on safety, you know everything else around it is probably doing well. Usually you're not going to see a super safe trucking company that has other operational issues. It's just the nature of being safe means we have a culture that works. Culture that's committed to continuous improvement where you're not reading your own headlines, where there's honesty and trust so that when there is a problem, let's face it, there are going to be problems. Um, you can have a conversation about it and solve the problems. And, and I think that's right. I mean, I, I, the Alcoa story is a great one because again, you're right. I mean, the analysts headed for the room because, oh, my God, you're not talking about this quarter. You're not talking about, you know, you're not talking about shareholder value. Yeah. yeah. Right? It, it's, it's the same people that say, well, I don't want to invest in in safety because safety is um, that that would just interfere with my profits. Well, just a cost. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if, if you think safety is expensive, consider the opposite. It's a lot more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time and enjoy Enjoy the summer in Wisconsin and then get back over to uh, Houston where you belong. I sure will. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing what you've what you've learned. And it's quite a bit. And thank all of you for uh, listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.